Hi, and welcome to the show. In this episode, we'll share the second half of Jenna McLean's conversation with playwright Don Hanna. In part one, Don talked about growing up in an English family in the predominantly French community of Shediac, New Brunswick. He spoke about the fear that came with being gay in 1950s New Brunswick and why so much of his writing is based here in the province. The episode wrapped up with Don explaining why he chose to focus much of Resident Aliens on the story of Vivian Larson, the Shediac woman who in 1959 traveled from Moncton to Hollywood by horse and wagon to share a secret with Walt Disney. And that's where we'll begin this second half. Well, I mean, the thing is, in terms of when you look at the journey, like she traveled by horse and wagon mm-hmm. for months and months and months through um, with no money, like she had no money. Yeah. So she and she had to feed the two of them. She had to feed a horse. Um, she, you know, she had she it was an amazing feat and she stuck with it until she got there. And um, that in a sense that's the bare bones of the story of, of a, you know a heroine it's kind of like mother courage you know yeah. there's something really big about this story the fact that it's kind of like you know a crackpot journey at the same time you know she's dressed like a nun i mean she says you know it's to protect for penance so there's some sort of catholic penance thing involved that I don't take too seriously, but and for protection, like she thought men would men would leave her alone if they thought she was a nun, which makes no sense at all in terms None. of the way the world works. <laughs> but um, but you know she had she had you know she set up her rules and she took off and she did this thing. So there is something heroic about the journey, even though it's crazy. Yes. And um, and then there's something about about her coming back, and plus there's all this uh, when she's in Hollywood, there's this back and forth between her and, and the Moncton Tourist Bureau, and this guy is going to set up um, uh, a museum of transportation and have her have Bob the horse and and uh, the wagon and everything be part of a display. Mm-hmm. I, that that um, it's I don't know it's craziness. So in terms of my my empathy, I I, I just think. Oh, she wanted to, she wanted out, she, and she, she, she this, this to her was the logical way for her to, you know, lift herself and her daughter, yeah, uh, up and give them a better life. So, uh, I admire her gumption, even though I just think, wow, this is kind of doomed from the start. But there's something, but so getting inside of her as a character was a whole other ball game. I mean, that was really. That was that was an interesting. That came with the that came more with writing the play than it did with telling the story because yeah. I, I had to you know figure out how she spoke, mm-hmm. and uh, and also make stuff up, which yeah, you know, like invent stuff, invent, invent, well, like the story of when the first Disney movie she took her daughter to see and th- those sort of things, and also to read through the lines in news stories when she came back. I have this very faint memory of seeing her on television. It'd be like in 1961, I think, or 62. So I'd be 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. There was a show from CKCW in Moncton called Supper Club, which was on from like six to seven o'clock every night. And the, the local host was a guy named Bill Murray, 
and Bill Murray interviewed um, Vivian Larson. Mm -hmm. And I just remember, you know, her talking about how she was going to write this book and the book would reveal the secret. And, um, and, and while she was talking, like my parents were, we were all watching TV. <laughs> they were just saying, she's never going to write this book, you know? Um, but she just, I don't know, I'm rambling on, but she just completely fascinated me. Always, 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 always. And also, what was the secret? You know, that was the other thing. Yes, which is my next question of, do you want to know what the secret is? Or like, it's hers, she died with it. How do well, you feel about the secret? Well, I mean, I think, I, I, I mean, I have my sense of what it was. Um, and, and I plant enough stuff in the play, I think, that the, for people in the audience to go, oh, I think it was probably this or it might have something to do with that or whatever. But it's, um, uh, there were lots of rumors about what the secret was. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the play deals with one of them. Um, but I think on some level, one has to honor Vivian Larson saying, I'll take this to the grave. Yeah, you know? unless and, she publishes it. Right. And headlines. The Vivian Larson carries secret to the grave it was the headline in the paper when she died. It's such a good headline. <laughs> unique oh, yeah. chapter in city's history ends. <laughs> That's kind of shady and I love that. <laughs> Wild. Okay. So um, Vivian is the story. She's like the conduit of the play. I am curious about how the boy then comes into it. Well, I felt, I mean, for one thing, I wanted to write about her, but I, I also didn't think that there's a, there's a full length play uh, that I could write. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had, I had essentially to um, figure out how to put her in, in a bigger context. Yeah. And I wanted to put her in the context of a bigger story that I wanted to tell about New Brunswick, which, and mostly which had to do with Protestant Catholic English French, yeah. you know, and um, so that having having her journey to Hollywood happening while the the, the boy ha is having his own particular journey, those things just seems seem to mesh perfectly to me, yeah. and have in a sense kind of two separate plays going on that are constantly in dialogue with each other. And they're like informing and building off of each yeah. other in really interesting and beautiful ways. I want to talk about the relationship between them a little bit later. Um, but uh, with the boys' story, um, I read some of your, your other plays, and I think there are pieces of the boys' story scattered throughout them in a way that feels real as a writer. I do the same thing. Um, but I'm curious, like, why this story of the boy now like why uh you talked about like the french english and the protestant catholic but like why did it feel like right to set it like so specifically why now yeah um i have no idea it just it just worked that way i will in part because i think it, it started off from this essay which was about my relationship to Vivian Larson when I was a little kid, when I, my relationship to the, her story rather. So that was, that was one, one reason. Um, I also wanted the tension of all that stuff that was coming out of the public opinion columns in, in the Moncton papers when she was away, you know, 
Um, and so the character of the father seemed to be the best way to do that, to have to have this sort of running commentary on, you know, she's crazy, she's crazy, she's crazy. <laughs> um, and, um, and show both of those things sort of um, as a way of, of y'all telling her story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe it's because I'm a playwright and I find this stuff really fascinating, but could you walk me a bit through the development process between commission and world premiere of a play? Well, this was a very, this was very, this was a completely different process than I've ever done before because I had done so much research on this already. I had written, you know, a 40 page essay or so. And so it was like, okay, what can I use from this? And um the structure and the structure is it was kind of a given it was like like you know the life of vivian larson from from the moment she leaves um moncton and when she's 50 years old until the end of her life yeah. and the family scenes was, well it was all a matter of trying to figure out how to bounce one story off the other. I mean, for example, when Vivian Larson is away, mm -hmm. when she's in Texas, I think, that's when Louis Robichaud becomes the first Acadian premier elected in New Brunswick. Yep. And also at that time, um, that same year, uh, JFK, Kennedy becomes the first Catholic president of the United States. So that all that political stuff was all happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that just... So the process of writing the play was figuring out, okay, how can I work all this in so, it, so it's a part of the story and a part of the argument that's going on with the characters um, and putting her story in, in that bigger context, you know, what was going on in the world. And also, I long wanted to write about uh, Louis Robichaud because I tend to, to worship him. I think he was just like one of the best things that ever happened to New Brunswick. I loved Louis Robichaud. And when I was a, when I was a kid, my father and I did argue a lot about Louis Robichaud. And um, uh, there was a lot of a lot of incredibly angry Anglophones around weren't happy with Louis Robichaud. Yep. <laughs> I have heard about some of them. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and well, I, and I just think it was, it's a really, it was a way to write about that time. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not the person to write a play about Louis Robichaux. You know, that's, not, that's certainly not, not my um, uh, place. Yes, but, for anyone uh, listening, this is not the Louis Robichaux, like, life story no, play. That's not what No, no. And God, I hope somebody is writing it. Um, Will you but, be there on opening night? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. But because I just I mean, that's a great story to mm -hmm. me, but I wanted to write about that time and place, you know, and and how what that felt like, yeah. um, because that's all of that took place. I mean, you, you know, we talked really about what it was when you realize you're a gay kid mm -hmm. and, and I'm also realizing the, um, what my politics are evolving into from a you know very early age. Yep. And uh, Louis Robichaud was a big part of that part of that. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Resident Aliens was workshopped and read digitally as part of TNB's Fall Festival of right. New Plays in 2021. For those listening who don't know, could you let them know a bit about what this process entailed for you as a playwright? Oh, well, um, this is one of the, the upsides of COVID, mm -hmm. was, um, that there, there was time and money for, 
like some commission money to write the play and then to workshop it, uh, to have it heard, to spend time with actors. Um, um, So I had really fabulous actors. I was able to do all that from like right here where I'm sitting now Mm -hmm. um, and hear it, revise it. And we had a a fabulous actress from Moncton Reed, um, Mrs. Larson, a Canadian actress, who coincidentally um, discovered that a a friend of hers (laughs) had a mother who had been babysat by Mrs. Larson. So we had some personal info, but, uh, and she was, she was an incredibly useful actor to me, but she was too young for the to, for mm-hmm. play Mrs. Larson ultimately. I mean, she wasn't the actress for the part. All those actors really helped me find the structure and of the play. And the, I was still having trouble afterwards with the voice of Mrs. Larson in many ways. And had another workshop later where we had another actress, this one from, from uh, Montreal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, and then a series of auditions. And all of this now, of course, takes place on Zoom because here we are, we're on Zoom, yeah. uh, which is, it's, it's frustrating in some ways, but in other ways, it means with the cast for this play, we had, um, you know, Chris who read The Boys, Calgary. So we had, we had people from, you can just have sort of incredible people from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so I wrote, rewrote, um listened yep listened yes and also because I spent so much time with the material before this project ever started this was a essentially a less demanding first draft than many are Mm -hmm. you know like most first drafts are like pulling teeth I understand that entirely yes it's really hard to figure out the structure and what you want to say and everything but I kind of knew a lot of that to begin with and so the rewrites were a lot of fine tuning and also figuring out what she sounded like. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like the focus really being on the voice. And I think that's one of the benefits of a Zoom workshop almost is that like the focus is just on the text. I mean, all readings and workshops ideally are about like the text and the things on the page, but like with Zoom, there's nowhere to hide, which yeah. is like a blessing and a curse sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and I had and I had really clear ideas on how I wanted the play to look. So um, that, in terms of moving it through time and space, like all for me, all of the all of the scenes with the family are all all take place pretty much inside a house. They're all interior scenes, and the Mrs. Larson scenes are, which are all monologues, pretty much. Mm-hmm. They're all her moving through through space through exterior space you know so th- there's also that juxtaposition which was always in my head as i worked through the play how to i mean then then it's some poor designer who's stuck with the problem <laughs> figuring out how to how to how to do that but, that, but that's also like the joy of you get to propose a problem and then they find the solution yeah. yes yeah. i love collaboration i have um, to say i really missed because this is um I, I'm trying to think of the last new, this is, this is, I've done a new play for a while. It's been, it's good to get away from prose and back into the, the collaboration of theater again, because I really have missed it. Yeah, it's so special. Um, something to play explores that I think is really beautiful that you kind of touched on with Disney uh, is the way we cling to stories that make us feel seen. 
I, uh, that excite us or confuse us, that hold family history, that teach us something about the world. We meet the dad and the mom in this play as they're telling their son's stories. The boy is fascinated by Walt Disney and the worlds he creates. Could you talk a bit more about the way Resident Alien engages with story and narrative? And I think there's also um, mm. something interesting in the way Vivian, from the beginning, starts to kind of like self-mythologize the things she's doing so could you just talk about story and how it functions um yeah yeah i i the first play i wrote where i i really thought about story in this way was um fathers and sons which is father and son a two-character play <clears throat> well there's a musician as well yes and that came out of i had a residency in whitehorse um which was like one of those things where it fell into my lap. And so I went to Whitehorse and spent time there. And I was just knocked over by First Nations storytelling because it was something I had never encountered here yeah. and was not a part of my life until that point. And I was just floored by the fact that one person could tell a story and, and, and it would be completely engaging. Mm. So the that play was really about storytelling. It was a series of of little of stories that you know went back and forth and built built into uh, uh, hopefully a whole thing. So I think that the Mrs. Larson stuff came out of that mm. um, th th that same idea because she's telling it's a it's a tricky thing or one person that that one person show element because it's like who is this person talking to and. Why are they telling us the story? And for her, what the actress has to find, with the help of the director, mm -hmm. is where where am I when I'm telling this story? What's the present moment? I felt it was important for her to tell her own story as opposed mm -hmm. to her be in scenes with her daughter, say, or um, so. The self-mythologizing, of course, is just, I mean, she's, I think, you know, when you read the newspaper articles about her as she's traveling, everyone was like, people really were captivated by her. She was a good storyteller, although she told, and she told the same story yep. over and over and over again. Every time she came into a place, it was like, I'm wearing this, you know, burlap outfit for penance and protection. She I had just, a script. Yeah, essentially. Yes, yeah, she did. She, she didn't vary from it, but she really, you know, had it down pat. So I think she was inventing herself as this character uh, as she went along. And um, and it was, you know, the most significant thing that ever happened to her. Mm -hmm. um, so up, my job in the play was to figure out, okay, what's that voice? <clears throat> and how does she tell the story? And, and then the tricky part for me was the part of the story that takes place after Hollywood, yeah. you know, not quite so happy. Where the disillusionment is setting in. Yes, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, the boy and Vivian almost hand the play back and forth to each other. They're like uh, two others finding each other in this nebulous stage world. I was curious if you could talk a bit about their connection and their relationship and what excites you about it dramatically. Well, the thing that I love about the theater is you can do this stuff. Like, well, I mentioned fathers and sons, you know, where... For that play, I mean, my idea was you, the the actor playing the father and the actor playing the son are basically the same age, so that 
for, for the first part of the play, you've got, you know, a 35-year-old playing like a six-year-old, a 15-year-old, whatever. Because you can, you'll buy that in the theater mm -hmm. in a way you won't anywhere else. And so with this, this play begins with, you know, boy who is an actor who's like in his late 60s, early 70s. And so all of the scenes with the boy and his family, we've got this, you know, very, somebody who's like older than his parents in these engaged in these scenes with him. So it's it's highly theatrical in that way. The so he's also in a sense really he's the one who's telling us the story of Mrs. Larson. Mm -hmm. So um she comes out, he conjures her up. There are two moments in the play where there there's a moment early on where she hands him something. And then at the end of the play there's there's this kind of moment of to me of kind of grace where they're where they're together um so that they're both linked and separate throughout the whole thing you mm -hmm. know it's going on at the same time and she's she's not i don't think really we'll see what happens when we stage it <laughs> um, she's not real. i mean she's not she's she's aware of herself throughout mm -hmm. the whole play and of the audience yeah. because she's telling the audience her story but she's not so aware of all the other people on stage. I mean, she's, you know, as far as Mrs. Larson is concerned, this is a play about her. Yeah, she's the star, obviously. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, um, I guess if she's aware of the boy at moments, it's because he's part of part of her audience, in a sense. Yes. Yeah. I love that. In your play, The Cave Painter, Diane describes someone else as having moved out of chronological time, an assessment that feels really true for the boy and Vivian, I think with what you just said, especially of like, we will buy in, there's a disbelief in Peter. Uh, could you speak a bit about Resident Aliens and the way that it plays with time? Uh, one of the first lines in the play is time is slippery here. Uh, just curious how time is something you like used as a tool to support the story you wanted to tell. Well, as one gets older, one becomes more obsessed with time, you know, really. Mm -hmm. When I look at the early plays I wrote, time was not a big factor. I mean, you covered a period of time, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. The play, the play that did the most with time for me was um, a play I wrote for, it was a commission to write for um, uh, the kids at U of A. <clears throat> so where I moved back in time through, I can't remember, five or six generations of a From family. From 1870s to 2006, I read it yesterday. <laughs> yeah, so that that was that was all about time. Mm -hmm. And and it was interesting because I it was to write a play for, I forget, 12, 13 actors who were all around 20, 21 years old. And, but the play I ended up writing was every, I, and I also wanted in that play for all of those kids to be playing their own ages. Which is a gift for theater school. <laughs> also, never in your life are you going to get be able to play a 20-year-old again. And so, and also as someone who'd been to a lot of a lot of university productions, I just never, well, this is an unfair thing to say, but I'm so not interested in seeing a 20-year-old play Friar Lawrence. No, you know? exactly. I understand. <laughs> you know, like um it's it just seemed so anyway, I, and I thought I can't do all of this in one. I don't know enough about what it's like to be a kid in whatever year it was about to play to be to have 12 of them on stage. So I thought, but but, you know, I could write about about what it was like to be 
that age now and what it's like to be that age in the 60s and what it's there. So anyway, so time became really, really interesting to me and really compelling. And also because you can move through time in theater in a really, in a way you, you know, I guess you can do it in other art forms, but there's something that's really exciting about it in theater. So with this play, Mrs. Larson's story, as she's she's she starts off and, and starts moving through a year and a half of traveling in the first act. Um, and the boy starts off sort of kind of at the same, you know, when, when she begins, he begins is to tell his story about, about how old he is then. But he moves and they're, they're back and forth in the same time period for a while. But then he starts moving much further ahead in the yeah. sense that um, he's telling his story after her story has ended. So we're I'm juxtaposing uh, different time zones on these two characters. And now you have to do that in a way that makes perfect sense to an audience and is logical. And so that that was a part of the fun of writing. It was figuring out how that worked and how how you could leave sort of markers from one scene to the next that 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 made everything clear because it's there's nothing confusing, I don't think, in this play watching. It's pretty, pretty simple. I would like to sincerely thank you for joining me today, Don. It has genuinely been a gift to get to talk to you. And I really, really hope everyone listening joins us for the world premiere of Resident Aliens. The play runs in Fredericton from March 22nd to 26th, and then we'll be touring the province. You can check out cnb.nb.ca or at Theatre New Brunswick on social media to learn more.